Church, turn in your Bible to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter number 6 in just a moment. You know, last week we were talking about prayer and some things uh, to do with prayer and that we kind of challenged ourselves. Those of you who were with us, we kind of challenged ourselves this week to uh, pray a prayer, uh, what I called a prayer of examination, of examination. Look at this next slide. Look at this verse. It's there in your notes. Psalm 139 and verse 23. Let's say this verse together. And also, I want to encourage you, don't just say it. Let's pray it. And in the sake of the people sitting in front of you, don't spray it. Amen? Say it, pray it, but don't spray it. Welcome to grace. All right. Verse 23 in the count of three. One, two, three. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And amen. Amen. And, but it's wonderful, uh, those verses, wonderful for prayer, examination. But the one we're going to talk uh, about this morning is about being available. Because often we pray, and I've noticed in my life and sometimes probably in yours as well, many of our prayer requests are fairly self-centered. It's about me. It's about what I need. You know, pray for my mom and them and help granny and, and uh, Lord bless me with this new job. Lord bless me with another job and, and help me and help mine. Really, honestly, if we kind of summed up most of our prayers, help me and help mine. Nothing wrong with that. You should bring your prayers and petitions to God when you have a need. He's your good God and he knows what you need even before you ask. But look at this next slide. When can we finally get to the point where we say, God, what can I do? What can I do for you? Right? Not only just prayers about me and mine, but God, what can I do to serve you? Now, not that that has anything to do with your uh, relationship as far as salvation with God, right? It's not a works-based thing, like I need to do things for God so that he'll accept me. But we're talking about a prayer of availability where God can use me, right? When you're sincere, sincere and you pray an honest prayer, God, how can I serve you? He's going to direct you in a lot of ways. He may call you to live in a new location. He may cause you to take up a new vocation. He may reveal a calling in your life that you've never expected or experienced before. And he might lead you to, uh, you know, to do something different than what you expect. He might cause you to serve, right? He might redeem you from being a cat person and make you a godly dog person. Amen? It's a prayer of availability. God, I'm willing to be used. One of the things you need to understand this morning, look at this next slide. God, all the cat people are there out. They're done. All right. God calls people. What do I mean when I say that God calls people? He prompts them. He moves them. He leads them to say something, to do something, to give something, to encourage someone, to speak some truth. God will call people who know him, to do things for him and on his behalf. God calls people. Uh, you, all through the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, we see God calling people. Think about that Old Testament prophet Jonah. You remember his story, don't you? Look in your notes at Jonah chapter 1, verse 2. God called Jonah. He said, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. What happened? Look at this next slide. Jonah said, nope. <laughs> Not going to do it. Not going to do it. 
Right? He just said no. As a matter of fact, he went in the opposite direction. God called him, and he just said, nope, not going to do it. I wonder how many of you have done the same thing. It may not be in as dramatic of a fashion as the, uh, you know, God didn't call you to go preach against a whole pagan city. But God, remember last week we talked about these God moments sometimes we have and how we're talking to someone or sharing with someone or we're in a situation and all of a sudden we kind of feel like God is leading us in a certain direction to say something, to give something, to do something. And then how often we bail out of that and we actually don't act when we feel like God is prompting us, leading us to do something. Well, basically what you did in that situation was you said, nope, not going to do it. By the way, I've had somebody ask me this recently. How do I know when there's a prompting from God and I feel like God wants me to do something, how do I know that that's God speaking to me in my heart and my life and it's not the sushi that I ate the night before? How do I know the difference? The difference, and I can't tell you. Sometimes I'm not sure myself, okay? So just know that. But here's kind of how I break it down. If it's for the good of someone else and not yourself, Right? And it's a good thing to do. It's probably from God, generally speaking. Right? If you're doing a good thing, an encouraging thing that doesn't benefit you, then probably it's from God. Right? But if it's getting on social media and complaining about refs in a football game, <laughs> that's probably the old flesh showing up. Amen? There's those times, though, where God is going to prompt you to do something, and you're going to go, nope. I don't want to do it. I feel like I need to say something. I need to do something. I need to, in this moment, God is prompting me. But then we let the moment pass. Jonah, nope. You remember uh, Moses? When Moses went, now Jonah eventually went. Remember Moses eventually went too. Remember God called Moses. Look at your notes, Exodus 3 verse 10. God said, come now therefore and I'll send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Well, you think that Moses would be like, sign me up. Let my people go, right? But he didn't, he didn't say that, did he? Look what he said in verse 11. He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, who am I? I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't talk good enough. Who am I? Jonah said, nope. Look at this next slide. Moses said, not me. Not me, man. Not me. You've got better people lined up. I, let, me, let me speak a little West Tennessee. I ain't the one. Okay? There's other people. Somebody better. Better. Now, of course, Moses eventually went. But there's many of us this morning. You're right here and you think, well, I'm not going to give. God knows I don't have very much money and they got all the money. Let them do all the giving. Or I don't have time to serve. I can't come and serve and I don't have the time to invest. God knows how busy I am. They got more time than I do. Let them do the serving right? He can do it. Look, she's more talented than I am. She's got all the talented and she's so cared. God's obviously gifted her to do it. I'm going to let her do it, right? As long as it's not me, not me. God, I know it needs to happen, but not me. I, in the first service this morning, I don't know, maybe I was just cranky, right? But I, I complained about our Sunday night attendance here at Grace. So I, they had to listen to it. So I figured you'd have to listen to it too. They suffered, you suffer. It's how it works. And I mentioned the fact, on any given Sunday morning, we're coming out of fall break right now, so we're a little down. On any Sunday morning, Grace Patrick can run almost 400 people any Sunday morning. And then we'll come back to church a Sunday night at 6 p.m., and we'll have 40 people here. <laughs> the frozen chosen. Amen? 40 people. Now, that's okay. I'm not trying to guilt you into coming to church on Sunday night or whatever. But some of the same ones that don't come, you'll be mad at me when I cancel it. 
And if you don't come, we will. You'll be like, I can't believe our church quit having church on Sunday night. That's just wrong. You can tell. You can tell the light's not shining on the hill. We're not having church on Sunday night. The church has sounded retreat. No, man, you sound retreat every Sunday night when you leave us up here to do it all by ourselves. Let somebody else. Hey, somebody needs to go to church on Sunday night, but not me. Somebody needs to give to missions, not me. Somebody needs to do a Christmas shoebox, not me. Somebody needs to make sure the lights are on, everything's running, everything's going, not me. Somebody needs to preach the word, not me. Somebody needs to lead the singing, not me. Somebody needs to make everything happen so the one time out of the month I decide church is something worthwhile for me, investing my time in, everything is perfect so I can walk in the door and walk out and give it a score. Not me. Not me. All right, I'm being too honest. I'm going to get back on my sermon now. Moses said, not me. Send somebody else. So think about it for just a moment. <laughs> you should have seen y'all's faces. You'll get over it. Listen, <laughs> you will. Listen, <laughs> Jonah said, nope. Moses said, not me, right? But Isaiah, let's look at Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. Look at Isaiah chapter number six and verse number eight in your Bible. He said, also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here am I, send me. And I noticed what he didn't say. He didn't say, Lord, what are we doing? Where are we going? Why are you sending me? How are we going to do it? He just signed a blank contract and said, Lord, send me. What he did essentially is, well, look at this. Look at this next verse. Next slide. I'm sorry. Isaiah said, here I am. Here am I. Send me. Jonah said, nope. Moses said, not me. But Isaiah said, here I am, Lord. Send me. And I want to encourage you this week. Maybe you need to begin praying a prayer like this. Here I am, God. I give you my mind. I give you my eyes. I give you my mouth. I give you my hands. I give you my feet. Right? Help me to speak what you've called me to say. Help me to only hear your truth and forget about the lies of the world. Give me the wisdom uh, to follow you and everything. Lord, here are my hands. Here are my feet. Whatever it is, help me to do what you've called me to do. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Maybe we need to make that a similar prayer in our life. Whatever it is, God, here I am. Whatever you want me to do, right? I'm just saying, yes, God, you lead, I will follow. But how do we get there? Now, how did Isaiah get there? I mean, he just didn't just arrive there. How do we get to the point in our life where we're living surrendered to God, to God's will, his plan over our plans for our life? There's three things. Take some notes this morning. Number one, write this down. First thing I want you to see is we've got to see who God really is. You need a genuine experience with the presence of God. We need to see who God really is. Not some watered down version. Jesus is not your homeboy. God is not the man upstairs, right? Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, right? He is not the old man upstairs. He's not your homeboy. Look what Isaiah saw. See, we have this watered down version of God. And what, I'll get to it in a minute. Listen, here's what happens is, especially, I worry about the older saints, right? They've been saved a long time. And, and uh, if, okay, older, anybody older than me, amen? And so, what happens, some of you, you've been saved so long, you've kind of forgotten what you've been saved from and who you've been saved to. And you've lost your sense of who God is and who you were. But look at verse number one. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, what happened? Isaiah saw the presence of God. He saw him in his majesty and his glory on his throne. 
right? And then the text goes on and talks about these uh, heavenly creatures, these seraphim, and they're around the throne and they're worshiping him and all of that. Look at it in a verse, go down to verse 3. It says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Matter of fact, let's say that together on the count of three. One, two, three. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. When Isaiah experienced the glory of God, it changed his life. It changed his direction. It transformed who he was. Why is it in our lives sometimes we're just not available? You know that little, when you go out of town, you stay at a hotel or something, and, uh, and uh, some of y'all just got back from like, your fall break vacations, and you want to sleep in, and you put that little do not disturb on the doorknob on the outside of your hotel room. Some of us as believers, we put that little do not dis- disturb card on the door of our life, telling God, hey, I'm saved, going to heaven, but you know what? Don't bother me right now. I got other things that are more important. How does that happen to us? It could be that you have not, you've never experienced the presence of God. You're not saved. Or it could be that you haven't really experienced the presence of God lately, right? Again, you've been saved for a while now, and you've gotten so far from who you were when you met Christ that you've kind of forgotten who Christ was when you met him. Sometimes people say, well, I just don't feel that close to God anymore. You can be close to him. Scripture's clear. You're as close to God as you want to be. Look at this verse in James chapter 4, verse 8. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And that doesn't only happen in church. Matt, you're driving to work and you've got that worship music playing and all of a sudden you just have this overwhelming sense of the presence of God uh, in your life that he is comforting you and he is there with you Monday morning going to that job that you hate. Or you're, you're tucking your four-year-old in and you're saying those little four-year-old bedtime prayers, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep, right? If I should die before I wake, that sounds like a horror movie, amen? But even with our bad prayers, you sit there and tuck that four-year-old in, and then in that moment, you sense the presence of God, right? And you know that God is there with you and with your four-year-old. When you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. And why is it that we're not as available to God as we should be? It could be because we have not sought after him in a long, long time. We're as close to God as we want to be. We need to see God for who he really is. He's not your homeboy and he's not the big guy upstairs. Number two, write this down. We also need to see who we really are. We need to recognize who we really are. Man, we really need to think about who we were apart from Christ. A genuine awareness of your sinfulness. Matter of fact, we talked about this last week, but one of our biggest cultural things and, and is this idea that you're a good person and I'm a good person and he's a good person, he's a good person, she's a good person, right? And the truth is, the scripture teaches us that none of us are good. Apart from Christ, we're horrible, pathetic, evil sinners in the eyes of God. We're wicked and deceitful. Welcome to grace. We're glad you're here. Right? But it was only when Isaiah saw the goodness of God that he saw how bad he was. When he saw how good God was, he saw how unrighteous that he was, and he recognized who he was. He recognized his own unrighteousness. Look at verse 5. He had a genuine awareness of his sinfulness. He said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, I love that last part of that verse. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He sees God and he recognizes, oh man, he's awesome. He's glorious. He's holy. He's righteous. I'm nothing. I'm sinful. I'm an 
a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Woe is me. I mean, what does it take to get to the place where you're really surrendered to God? It's when you recognize who he really is and you recognize who you really are apart from Christ. Number three, write this down. And then it's when we see how amazing grace really is. When we see how amazing grace, we sing it all the time, but I don't think that we think about it. It takes a genuine understanding of God's grace. See, that, this full surrender, I, I kind of hinted at it a moment ago, but I think about that in the life of, I worry about, again, saints of God that are like been saved for 40 years. And what I've noticed in the life of too many saints of God that have been saved a really long time, they've gotten to the point in their life they've almost forgotten what they got saved from. And then when they see other people acting like an idiot, they forget. I used to be an idiot. But God saved me and he redeemed me and he made me new. And these last 40 years, see, we start thinking, I got here on my own because I'm that good. Right? But the truth is, you didn't get anywhere on your own. God and his goodness carried you in his hand and delivered you right to where you are today. But we think that's us. We're like, why won't people act right? I don't know. Why won't you act right? You forget God's been working and sanctifying and working on you for decades. Somebody's been saved for five minutes and you want to throw them away. It's not right. We forget who he was when we met him, who we were when we met him, and how amazing the grace of God is that saves us and redeems us and makes us what we are today. My goodness, if you think I'm bad now, you should have seen me then. The amazing grace of God. Look at verse 6. It says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Now, what, what's happened? Isaiah's in the presence of God. He recognized that I'm a sinner and God has provided the salvation. I'm not going to go into it in a great de- a bit of detail, but that coal, right, that came from the altar, the altar where the sacrifices happened. So what's happened is, you know, they, the, they would burn up those sacrifices so that perfect spotless sacrifice the blood is shed there on the altar and that blood is dripping down on that coal and it's the blood on the coal that's what i believe the picture is it's a picture of the blood of christ our perfect sacrifice that was made for us look at this next slide with one touch from the goodness of god his sins were forgiven and completely atoned for your lying lips your lustful heart right your self-centered thoughts your angry outbursts at referees during football games forgiven completely forgiven every secret sin that you believe that only you and god know forgiven completely forgiving that's the amazing grace of god isaiah didn't deserve it the only thing that isaiah did he got in the presence of god recognized who god was recognized who he was and god provided the rest Forgiven as if it never happened. Look in your notes at Psalm 103, verse 12. It says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I mean, come on, man. When you understand the grace of God, how could you not surrender your life to that? What else is there that deserves your loyalty unlike Christ? The same way that that coal touched the lips of Isaiah, The blood of Jesus is covering your sins if you trust him. And when we recognize that we don't bring anything, Isaiah didn't bring anything. 
When we recognize that we don't bring anything, but Jesus brings everything, that's a life that we can surrender to. We experience the unmatched, unreserved, unmerited, right, unfathomable, amazing grace of God. The natural response should be, God, here am I. Send me. This isn't some kind of, well, I've got to hear it over here. I've got to be a good Christian. So, you know, preacher says, here am I, here am I, here Amen. And remember mom and them. Amen. Right? This is not a, I've got to do this. This is a, I get to do this. This is amazing. I get to wake up. Every day has purpose, right? God's got a plan and a purpose for this day. God has put me in this moment in history at this time for his reasons. And he's going to bring people across my path that I can make a difference to, right? I can serve him. I can worship him, right? I can encourage others because God has encouraged me. He's going to have people that have needs. You can meet those needs. Oh, I've got to go to church. I got to serve God. No, I get to serve God. I get to worship him because he served me and loved me through Jesus. I can give Jesus everything because he's given me everything. And here's the cool thing. This isn't a one-time deal. Look at this next slide. Write this down. It's a daily decision. Daily, daily. You surrender daily, right? Daily, every day, daily. Right? It's not like I got saved in 2012 and surrendered my life to Jesus. Done. No, listen, if God's going to get the glory out of this day, it's going to be because you give it to him. If you're going to serve God today, it's going to be because you made the decision today. I'm going to serve him, right? I'm going to, I'm going to worship him. I'm going to serve him today. If you decide not to, it's not going to happen. It's not a one-time decision. See, there's this war going on inside you. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit of God moves in, but now you've got this issue going on. You've got the flesh, your sin nature, because you're a sinner. It doesn't move out. And now you've got the spirit. So there's this battle within you. And the flesh wants to do what the flesh wants to do. And the flesh is going to be about me, 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 and what I want. And then the spirit is going to be what God wants. And so there's this battle, this decision, almost moment to moment, hour to hour, day to day, week to week decision that you have to make. Right? You're going to have to feed one or the other. Look at this next slide. What you feed grows. So if you pour into that flesh, me, 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 the flesh, your sinful nature is going to grow and take over your life. And those daily decisions are going to be pointed in the wrong direction. But when you're feeding the spirit, right? When the, the things of God, the worship of God, the service of God, while we feed grows, when we deny our flesh, we feed our spirit. When you're in the presence of God and seeking God, you're in his word, obeying his word, growing Spiritually, spending time with other believers, sharpening one another, using your spiritual gifts, being in the church, recognizing that you are the church, loving people for Jesus. And then that spiritual side of you, man, it's going to grow and manifest in crazy ways. Have you ever asked yourself, I put this in my notes, why does God use some people more than others? Have you ever thought that? Because I have. Why does God use some people more than others? I mean, there's probably a lot of reasons. We know that God is sovereign. He's going to bless what he chooses to bless. So he's in control. But I believe that one of the reasons why God uses some people more than others, some people are just more available. Some people are just more available to be used by God, so God uses them more. 
Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live my faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Can you say that this morning? Can you say that? Can you say what Paul said here? Honestly, can you say, I've been crucified with Christ, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Or would yours go, well, the life I now live is about me and my flesh and my desires. Why is it that more Jesus followers don't surrender fully to God's plan for their life? Why, why are we afraid? To, what are you holding back? And you are, because we've all done it. We've all been there where there's some area of your life. Do not disturb. This area is reserved. We rope off a part of our heart, a part of our life. God, I'm going to serve you and I love you and all this, but stay out of my job. Or stay out, stay out of this area, stay out of my relationships. I'm just going to sleep around. Right, God, I trust you with everything, but not my body and my sexuality. Right, God, I trust you with everything, but not my finances. All right, when that offering plate comes around, I get a little hot, and I just, you don't, hey, don't look at me. Right, I'm going to trust you with everything, but I'm not going to trust you with my marriage. Right, God, because I believe you got something better out there for me. All right, I'm going to trust you with everything. Right, what little area are we roping off? One of the reasons why I believe that we don't fully surrender to God, and many have it, is because you really believe. It's, God, preachers talk about this all the time, and I was hesitant to even to mention this, but you really believe that God's going to call you to be a missionary on the backside of Africa somewhere. And you'll never get to use a toilet again for the rest of your life. Like, you really believe that. Right? That's your fear. If I surrender to God, he's going to send me off to some crazy place. Uh, I got news for you. It might happen. It might happen. He may call you. But look at this next slide. Most likely, God is going to call you to be a missionary where you are. Because that's holy too. Man, thank God for our missionaries. Right? Thank God for them. And man, they should be esteemed and prayed for. And I mean, they should be, seriously, thank God for our missionaries. Well, let me tell you something. Thank God for the man, right, that brings his family to church every Sunday and worships the King of Kings and, and gives out of a giving heart and serves out of a servant's heart, loves the Lord, loves his family, gets up Monday morning, every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and half the Saturdays goes to work. And when he's at work, he's a faithful witness and testimony for Jesus Christ. And he's a missionary on the job. That's a holy life, too. Just like being a missionary on the backside of Africa, not getting a real toilet for a year. He might call you to serve in the nursery, which can kind of like, kind of like a mission trip to Africa. Amen? <laughs> hey, but there's a toilet in our nursery. Amen? Don't let that bother you. A lot of times people think, oh no, if I surrender to God, he's going to call me to some big thing. And the truth much more likely is God will call you to a whole bunch of little things where you'll be faithful. And when you get to the end of your years, years if you, uh, you're surrendered to God day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and you stop and you look back and you see all the little things that you did for God, and then you'll realize, oh, those were the big things. Those were the important things. I kept wondering why I'm not the next Billy Graham, right? God didn't call me to be the next Billy Graham, right? You're wondering why God didn't use you in some big way. And then you look back and you see all the little things that you're faithful in that God called you to and how God used that over the years. That's a holy life. Who knows? 
God may call you to the mission field, and I hope he does. God may call you to serve in the church, lead a small group. To Maybe God is calling you to be a foster parent. Maybe God is calling you uh, to adopt a child. Maybe God is calling you to serve in the ministry. Whatever it is. And maybe those sounds like, that sounds like big things. But it doesn't matter. Because when you see who God really is, and you recognize who you were and who you are apart from Christ, and you recognize how amazing grace actually is, Jesus is worth the backside of Africa for the rest of your life. It doesn't matter the big things or the small things. Be faithful in what God is calling you to do. That's a holy life. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the prophet Isaiah, God, how you spoke in his life. God, for this picture of your glory and your majesty. God, thank you for this glimpse of who you really are. Listen, guys, every head bowed, every eye closed. I assume a posture of prayer. Be respectful of those around you. Those of you this morning, you know that you're saved. You know that you're redeemed. You're a child of the king. Right? The Holy Spirit confirms with your spirit that you're a child of God. I'm going to ask you. Would you be willing to add this to your prayer life? I mean, it's simple, right? We talked about a prayer of examination last week. This is just a prayer of availability. Where some of you, you'll say, God, here, here am I, send me. God, I'm available. God, I trust you, right? God, whatever you, whatever you have planned for me, I sign off on it right now. No questions. God, if you're calling, help me. I want to do what you're calling me to do. God, I want to trust you in everything, every area of my life. But simply this, that your prayer this morning, and I don't want you to feel pressured or manipulated or feel like, oh, I've got to pray this prayer or, or whatever. That's not the point. Some of you aren't ready for it, and that's okay. But is it your prayer this morning as a believer? Simply this, here am I, Lord. I'm available for whatever you're calling me to do. I'm available for whoever you're calling me to be. Send me, Jesus. Is that your prayer? Would you slip your hand up all over the congregation? I want to pray for all of us. All of us. All over the congregation. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you in advance for all the ways that you're going to lead your people. Uh, Lord, I just pray that we'll be obedient to your promptings, to your nudges, God, may we always be a people that are faithful in the small things, trusting you in everything. Give us a desire to serve you. God, even if that's not on our radar right now, God, give us a desire to serve you. Here we are, Lord. Send us. Listen, guys, every head bowed, every eye closed. Just a moment. Just a moment. Some of you, you don't know that you're saved. And this whole idea about serving God and being sent by God and, and all of that. I mean, that might sound a little wild to you because you don't really have a relationship with God. You've never truly received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Look up for just a second. You know, your sin separates you from God. Isaiah's reaction, woe is me, right? He recognized I'm a sinner. Have you ever recognized that? That you're a lying, thieving, blaspheming, adulterator at heart, right? We think that we're good, right? But the truth is we're not. We don't measure up to a perfect, holy, righteous standard. We just don't 
measure up. And because of that, Jesus loved us so much that he came, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, went to the cross, death, burial, and resurrection, right? Paid the price for our sin, my sin and your sin. Sin is going to be paid for. Either Jesus pays for it or you will pay for it. But he came and did that, and he did that for us. Why would he, why would he do that for people that were going to turn against him, that were going to abandon him, that were going to crucify him? Why would he do that? Look at this verse. The Bible is clear. It says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What does that mean? That no good ex-husband of yours, even him. Right? That mean mother-in-law of yours, even her. Right? Those people that hurt you. Those people that have run you down, stabbed you in the back. The sorriest people that you can think of, even them. And maybe that doesn't sound good to you. Why does God save all these sorry people? Because that's all there is. If God wasn't going to save the low down, the person that hurts you, and if he couldn't save them, he couldn't save you. And what he made available to them, he's made available to all of us because we're all sinners. We all fall short of his perfect standard. And so because of his death, burial, and resurrection, he can freely offer to all of us, whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you called on them? Will you bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment? Let's pray one more time. Pray for those around you. Be respectful of those around you. Listen, there's some of you here right now. You know that God's got you here for this moment. This is your moment. You know that you're a sinner and your sin separates you from God. And you're ready to call on Jesus to save you. You believe him. When he says, whoever calls on the Lord shall be saved. And you're here right now and you want to pray to receive Jesus Christ. Listen, every head bowed, every eye closed. I will not drag you forward. I will not embarrass you. I will not single you out in any way. That's not what we do here at Grace Baptist. You have my word. But if right now, I just want the privilege of praying with you. Right now, in this moment, you know God is calling you to pray to receive Jesus Christ. I just want the honor of praying. Will you slip your hand up for just a second? Raise your hand. God bless you. I see you. Who else? God bless you. Listen, for those who raised their hands, even if you didn't, right now, why don't you talk to God? Right? This prayer is not going to save you. Right? This isn't some magic formula. This is you humbling yourself before God, confessing your sin and turning to Jesus. But you can pray a prayer like this. Why don't you talk to God and simply say, God, I'm a sinner. I sin. I do bad things. I do, I do dirt and I do it on purpose. But God, I turn from my sin. Tell him, I turn from my sin, but I'm turning to Jesus. Save me, Jesus. You said whoever calls on your name shall be saved. Jesus, I'm calling on your name right now. Save me, Jesus. Tell him, say, Lord, I'm putting my faith in your death, burial, and resurrection for my salvation. All of me, I give to all of Christ. Save me, Jesus. Listen, you pray a prayer like that and you're sincere and do honest. You do business with God. He just saved you. You now have the Holy Spirit. You've got resurrection power in your life. I want to encourage you to make that decision public. You know, the first thing that God asks us to do when we uh, receive Christ is to follow through in believer's baptism. Why don't you come this morning and we'll schedule that time. We'll rejoice with you. Maybe you've prayed that prayer at another one of our services. At some other point, you've received Christ, but nobody knows it. Listen, you need to come and make that decision public and follow through with baptism. We'll schedule that time, rejoice with you, pray with you. 
Maybe you recognize this morning, if you were being really honest with yourself and with God, your baptism and your salvations are in the wrong order, right? You get saved and then you get baptized. But maybe some of you, you got, saved, you got baptized at some point and you recognize, you know what? I really got saved later. You've never been baptized. I want to encourage you to get that right. Right? Be obedient to what God is calling you to do. Come this morning. We'll schedule that time. We'll pray with you, rejoice with you. Maybe this morning God is calling you to make it official and be an official part of the Grace Baptist family like those that did just that in the first service this morning. Maybe God is calling you to put on the jersey to be a part of the team right here at Grace. God is calling you to serve here. Why don't you come and do that? We'll rejoice with you and pray with you. But whatever it is, during this invitation this morning, I want to encourage you to be able to say to God, here I am. Speak. Your servant listens. Send me, Lord. Father God, we surrender this invitation to you. Lord, I pray that your people will use it for your glory. We love you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me? You come. Don't wait.